Welcome to Between the Stacks, a podcast presented by the Athens Limestone County Public Library. Each episode brings you into the library to meet our collection of people making an impact on the community of Athens and Limestone County, Alabama. Hello and welcome to Between the Stacks today. I'm Alice Pitleaf, your podcast host, and with us here today in the studio we have the case manager for the Alabama Institute for the Deaf and Blind, Olivia Wade. So welcome, Olivia. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. You came to a program, it's been about a month ago, right? yes. And we've been wanting to get you in the studio for those people who aren't able to come to those kind of events to just talk about the Institute, talk about some of the services you have, because I wasn't really aware of such a large presence. I've learned a little bit since then about how many resources there are. So I'd just like you to sort of, you know, dive in and talk about it a little bit. Absolutely. So AIDB, or Alabama Institute for Deaf and Blind, has multiple resources, like you said, Alice. Um, the main base is out of Talladega. We have the Alabama School for the Blind, Alabama School for the Deaf, Helen Keller School. There's also facilities for adults, E.H. Gentry, for instance, They teach independent living skills, professionalism. They work with business enterprise program. So they work with a lot of those who are wanting to get into the workforce and how to live independently so that they can live their best lives. And then there's also the Alabama Freedom Center for the Blind, which currently is located in Birmingham, Alabama, but it it will be moving to Decatur, Alabama. And so there are 10 regional centers. Let's see if I can get them all right. Mm-hmm. Birmingham, Decatur, Dothan, Huntsville, Shoals, Tuscaloosa, Talladega, Opelika, Montgomery, and Mobile. <laughs> and I am from the Decatur Regional Center, which serves Limestone, Lawrence, Coleman, and Morgan counties. So the, the entire state is covered, really. It really is. Like to me. How does one get to have these services? What's required to get services? So for the regional center specifically, I can speak on that. They really don't have to do all that much if they are low vision, visually impaired, uh, blind, losing their vision. Then they are able to call in, and I serve as a case manager ages three and up. So as the case manager, I am that point of contact. And so specifically for the children, they may have a teacher for the visually impaired. They're really hard to come by. Uh, There's a limited amount of programs throughout the country. There's only one that I know of in the state for the teachers to have those credentials. And then if not, then they'll have special education coordinators and teachers that work with them. And I work alongside them and just the school system in general to make sure that they are getting the resources they need. We also have the Alabama Instructional Resource Center for the Blind, which is located in the library of Alabama School for the Blind in Talladega. They provide different materials and reading resources from American Printing House for the Blind, and they are able to get them to the different schools throughout the state. Um, So basically what happens is the students, once they're enrolled in public school or private school, they are able to be added to the register at the resource center and they 
are able to receive services through the 12th grade, but when it comes to about transition age, which is 14, typically that ninth grade year, they will uh, get in touch with the Alabama Department of Rehabilitation Services pre-ETS program, so that's pre-employment transition services, and there is a specific coordinator that takes them and goes into the schools, works with them on job readiness, and kind of prepares them for college as well. And they also get a vocational rehab counselor um, that goes along with that. And so they follow them through college or into the workforce, if that's what they choose to do outside of school, um, and help them get the accommodations they need. First, they help them get a job. And so it's really interesting how we do work together with the Department of Rehab because we have job developers throughout the regional centers. And so they help consumers, is what we call them, prepare for jobs, work on resumes, interview skills, and they're able to help them get the job. And then once they do get a job, they're able to come on site if needed and make sure that they get the accommodations they need. For instance, I actually had a job developer because those of you can't see me right now, I have what is called albinism and it is a lack of pigment in the hair, skin, and eyes. And so that affects my vision. And so I actually grew up through AIDB. I was in what was called a kinder prep program. There's only one in Tuscaloosa right now, but there was one in Huntsville, Alabama, where I grew up. And that was for three to five-year-olds. And then, of course, I was on a caseload. And I'm technically still in the system. I'm still receiving services from vocational rehab just to get things together with this new position. I started in April of 2023 here at the regional center. So you took advantage of AIDB services basically your whole life. Yes. And what did you do before you were working as a case manager here at AIDB? So I earned my Master of Social Work in July of 2021. I went into the mental health field and was working with children and teenagers. And then I was a youth development professional at the Boys and Girls Club. And then now I'm the case manager for the blind and I'm loving it. From the first day during orientation, I felt like this is exactly where I was meant to be. Well, you had seen this happen your whole life, right? Going through the system. What kind of jobs, when it gets to that vocational or college prep, what directions are all these people going in? So, for instance, I'm in social work, but there are people that are on the Redstone Arsenal as engineers. There's people that are musicians. There's people that are lawyers. Like, there is no limits. And so our motto is deaf, blind, limitless, which means we don't tell our consumers what they can and can't do or what they need and don't need. They tell us. They tell us what they want to do and we find a way to help them reach that goal. What about the AIDB school in uh, Talladega? What what is that school like and why do people choose to go there as opposed to going to their public school and getting services? So the Alabama School for the Blind specifically offers specialized services. All the students have some sort of low vision, vision impairment. And so they learn right on the spot in real time. They live on the campus. It's a residential campus. And so some 
parents and students prefer to go and be in that environment. Me personally, I was in the public school system. And so I was able to receive those services from a TVI teacher for the visually impaired throughout my school time. I had someone come in and bring large print books and they were multi-volume and I was embarrassed to use them in the classroom. So we ended up just bringing them home. Um, And then once I got into high school, I got in touch with Alabama Department of Rehab Services through a low vision clinic that was held at UAH, University of Alabama in Huntsville. But it was at that clinic that I found out I would be able to drive. Up until 16 years old, I was told I wouldn't be able to drive ever. And so that was already a stressor on my whole family. And so they tested me, did some assessments on my vision and learned that I could be a bioptic driver. And so a bioptic is a pair of glasses that basically has, for me, a little telescope. And so when I go and look through that telescope, I have to kind of dip down, kind of like using a bifocal, but opposite, I can see further away. And so with that, I had to go through almost three years of training throughout high school. And I actually received my license two months after I started college. And so that was a challenge. um, But now I'm able to be independent and drive. When you were, I'm curious, because you mentioned about having the big books that you were too embarrassed. And, you know, because I understand where you're at a school for the Institute for the Blind and everybody's in the same boat. But in public school, you're a little Mm -hmm. bit different. In How did that, how did you navigate that feeling? So in elementary school, I uh, was very stubborn. I just would tell them I didn't need anything. Um, If they tried to give me certain tools, I didn't really want to use them, to be honest. Um, But it was a struggle because I'd have to sit up close to the board or sometimes I'd have to get out of my desk and sit on the floor just to be able to see what was on the whiteboard. And so as you can imagine, going into middle school, especially middle school, but also into high school, not being able to fully see the board, it's embarrassing. And so I was able to eventually you know, stand up for myself. I got used to people asking questions. I also have what's called a nystagmus. And so it means that my eye is not controllable. It struggles to focus. And so it shakes sometimes. And other times it'll just move back and forth. A big thing of that is I don't know when it's happening. And so I've been told that when I'm really thinking really hard or if I'm spacing out, my eye move more frequently or at a different pace. I really don't know because like I said, I don't know. And so people are like, oh, is your vision like moving all the time? And I said, no, it's my eye trying to focus. Well, I have another question in terms of it's one thing to be identified when you're a baby or three or five, whatever. But what about services for people who just never had the opportunity or weren't necessarily identified or didn't think they could meet the requirements to get services, what do you do for those adults? So there are a lot of adults that actually come to us that are losing their vision. And so, for instance, you got macular degeneration or glaucoma, and those are typically diagnosed at an older age. And so a lot of them and their families really just don't know what to do. And so when they find out about us, they're thrilled. Because a a question that I love to answer is how much are your services? Do you take insurance? And I say, our services are free. We don't need insurance. 
we refer out. Some programs are income eligible based, but as far as my services go to refer out to different resources and services, it's free. And that's just the best feeling for them to know, hey, this this is for me. Like they're not getting money out of this. Like it's to help me. That's what their job is to do. And so being able to show them the different technology, being able to tell them about all the services and resources available. A lot of the time I'll get, is there something for this, this or this? And I'm like, yeah, there's like three different ways we can go about that. Let's see which way works best for you. Wow. I bet technology has really changed over the years. Can you speak to that, how that has helped the Institute help people? Absolutely. So actually with me, it's kind of interesting as well, because with that low vision clinic that I went to, I received what's called a monocular. And so imagine a pair of binoculars, but way smaller and you hold it up to your eye. So that was already a lifesaver. As soon as I got it for high school, I mean, come on, algebra two with trig without being able to see all the signs and numbers and letters. um, That was really a saving grace for me. Um, and then I also received what's called a CCTV. And what that basically is, is it's a screen and it has a camera that when you put it under the camera, you can see on the screen what's under that camera. And so, for instance, me reading Jane Eyre in my AP English class would not have been fun. That fine print is not good for someone, especially even me, to read for an extended period of time, but because I was able to enlarge it on that screen, I was able to read it for a a longer period of time. So that's two different um, examples. But actually with the CCTV, I found out in the 80s, they were around, but they were like those big, take up all the whole table space TVs. Like you just imagine those big 80s TVs. That's basically what they were. And so people still have that perception if they had known about them back then, they're like, oh, I don't want that. And then we come in and show them, hey, no, this is what it looks like now. Right. It's a long way from those Braille, you see the old Braille books. Yeah, so now we have Braille notes. They're able to type and read the Braille from the same device. And it's just incredible, the technology. And then we, of course, have different glasses, different reading devices that can read out loud to you. I mean, of course, we already have iPhones and different technology already there with voiceover. Um, We have assistive technology trainers that actually will go through the process of setting up voiceover, going through different apps that are able to magnify or tell you what's in front of you. There are different devices that can scan barcodes and read what items they're holding in their hands. There's an app that can show you what color in your closet you're pointing the phone at. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it's amazing. That is amazing. And see, people just don't know until I'm able to tell them. And so that's just the joy of my job (laughs) is I'm like, oh, did you know about this? Um, And then their eyes light up and the whole family is just smiling and it's like, oh, he can do this again or she can she can do this for the first time. And it's just really exciting. Well, you've been talking a lot about sight issues. What about for those who are hearing impaired? Right. And so actually the term hearing impaired is frowned upon in the deaf community. You're good. And see, that's the thing is we're able to educate the public on that topic. And so it's hard of hearing or deaf. 
or a hearing loss. But it's interesting because those in the vision side of things, we don't mind or certain people don't mind hearing the words visually impaired because the teachers for the visually impaired, that's literally their title. So it's just a preference. But in the deaf community, from my understanding, it is a proud thing. It's not a deficit, for instance. It's not an impairment. They see it as just another way of communicating. I do see the distinction there. Yeah. Well, now what do they have technology-wise for them? And so the coolest thing that they have is a video phone. The individual that is deaf will be signing through the phone or the video phone to an interpreter. The interpreter is actually speaking to another, to a hearing person, they would speak what the deaf individual is signing and then would sign back to the deaf individual what the hearing person is saying to them. It's so fascinating. You call up and they say, this is this so-and-so I'm interpreting for so-and-so. And then they just have the conversation. That's an app or that's a special phone? It's a special phone. And then we actually offer interpreting services as well to any deaf individual in the state. For instance, in a medical office, the medical office is required to set up an interpreter, uh, American Sign Language interpreter, and that way the doctor is able to communicate with the patient. Are there materials that a library would, it would be good for us to have? But would you like to see public libraries have services for deaf and blind people? For deaf in in materials wise, it would be more of a communication thing. Eventually, our regional center will offer ASL classes um, and those classes will be available to the public. As far as materials for the blind, I would say even having maybe a CCTV on site or being able to partner with the National Library System. They have a program called BARD, and so that's Braille and audio reading, and they're able to partner with different libraries throughout the states to provide those reading materials. Because a big thing that happens is, especially those who are losing their vision, I've heard oh, well, I really just miss reading. Of course, there's audiobooks and there's Kindles, but sometimes people just want to flip through those pages. And so that's where the technology comes in. And we're still in process of providing different technology. I know this is not your area, but there's that STEM mobile. Introduce the STEM mobile and where does it go? And is that um, just in Alabama? So the STEMmobile is specifically, I believe, right now with special projects. And so we actually are on the same campus. It's AIDB North in the Decatur location. And so like the STEMmobile, they have camps in the summer specifically. And it's basically a science lab. They teach students about STEM. And they're actually at UAH over this past summer was a camp called Gen Cyber. And so it was specifically about cybersecurity. They offered a week of camp for deaf and hard of hearing students, as well as blind and visually impaired students. And I actually went and assisted two students from Tampa, Florida to get to that camp. I uh, flew there, picked them up and flew back with them to make sure they got there safely. And that was in Huntsville? It was. It was at UAH. 
Well, I was curious if there were any personal stories that come to mind that you want to share and people that you've helped and... Sure. So specifically with me being a lifetime consumer, that's what I call myself, it's been interesting to be able to see how the programs and services have evolved. And so the first thing I would like to talk about is there's a program that we partner with Alabama Department of Rehab Services and Auburn University. It's called College Quest. And so what that is, is a two-week program on the campus of Auburn University for basically juniors and seniors and those heading off to college to really get that college experience. They go through two weeks of what's called camp, but they live in a residence hall. They eat in the cafeteria and they learn uh, different O&M skills. And so what that is, is orientation and mobility. And so those who maybe use a cane, but there are some that don't, they are able to learn how to properly use that cane on the college campus. And for me, I actually went to the University of Montevallo, and that's full of bricks. And so I don't personally use a cane, but I actually had friends there that did. But uh, the one I wanted to talk about specifically with College Quest was I got to go for three days this past summer and work with the students. There was about 12 students and one was actually on my caseload and she is precious, but she also reminded me of me. And so I just saw myself in her and now I'm able to work with her as a senior in high school uh, to build that confidence and to advocate for herself. So that's that's a really special program to my heart, but a really special program that I'm really excited about is called short-term programs. And what that is, is a program for 6th through 12th graders that are blind or have a visual impairment. And it is a program made up of three to five day courses, and they vary through what's called the expanded core curriculum, which means being able to succeed in academics and in life. And so there's going to be a Braille course, for instance, to help students get through their classes using Braille. And then there's also independent living classes like cooking and cleaning and budgeting and just being able to go out in the world and live just as anyone else, um, just doing it in a different way. There's also going to be some fun courses, um, adventure, camping, rollerblading, whatever, just to prove that they can do whatever they set their minds to. There's also going to be a program with that the parents are going to be able to join in on. And my favorite part that I heard from the director, uh, Jessica Chapa, is that by the end of the weekend, the parents will have the resources, but the students will be able to go at the end of the weekend and say, look, mom, look, dad, look what I can do all by myself. And it's happening on the campus of AIDB North. So I get to watch it come to life. And the courses are supposed to start this January and they go from January through October. That's going to be really exciting. I'm excited. (laughs) Well, I just wanted to comment that it seems to me that Let's say you're a potential employer 
And what you're describing, the process of three years to learn to drive, all the things that you do to get an education, to get the help you need, the tenacity, the stubbornness, whatever you want to call it, as an employer, they'd be lucky to get to get people like this because mm-hmm. they've had such life experience that other candidates will not have had. Exactly. They've had to overcome some adversity um, and build up some resilience for sure. Um, we just have to learn how to do things in a different way. And I mean, it does take a minute to really accept it. And of course, those who are losing their vision or have lost their vision at a later time, I was born with my low vision. But as an employer for those who are of working age, they need to be educated as well on what is available and what can be provided as accommodations. And that's that's a part of my heart as well is for employers to know that someone who is blind is just as hard, if not more hardworking than the average employee, I guess I can use that word. Um, That's what I love about AIDB as well, as we are a diverse group of individuals that work together. And what's so beautiful about it is we've been through the different experiences. And so that's really been a delight for me as a case manager, working with parents and grandparents of the students that are either losing their vision or are low vision from birth, is being like, hey, I have a master's degree. I'm a licensed social worker. I have this job. I love this job. And I know how to work through it and help your child. And that really, I feel like, encourages them. I have a lot of smiles in my office when I'm able to be like, yeah, I went through this already. I've been there, done that. I got you. I think people would be so comforted by that. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about? You have a lot of notes there. I have a lot of notes. Um, I really think the thing that is really interesting is that a lot of people have misconceptions. And so there's some, some myth busting that needs to be done. And so a big thing is someone who is blind only sees darkness. That's actually not true. A lot of people who are blind have some sort of light perception are that low vision. And there's actually a difference between legally blind and totally blind. Um, Another thing is people will start shouting at blind people. It's like, no, I still have my hearing. I don't have super ears. But I do feel like because we've had to depend on them more, it seems like they are more prominent. Um, And so it's just really interesting to witness. But the way to approach, specifically I can say, speak for the blind community, is to not be afraid, but also make your presence known, not just walk up on them. Um, a big thing with blind etiquette is to announce who you are. Say you're in a room with someone and it's a meeting, for instance. So in a meeting, say, for instance, for me, this is Olivia speaking and then continue on with my statement. It's kind of common sense in a way. It is, but then you really just don't think about it because a lot of time people don't remember that they are blind, even though there's a cane right in front of them. Because of how independent and how self-sufficient we have become as consumers, especially those long-term consumers of AIDB, people forget. And 
it's okay to use the words look or see. Did you did you know that? That you can actually use those words with people who are totally blind? I think most people would be a little self-conscious. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, we, we use those words just like everyone else. But those who are totally blind that I've interacted with, it's good to see you again. And it's really interesting, specifically in the blind community I'm speaking for, you know, we've become, most of us, if we've had it long enough, the low vision or the blindness, we have a good sense of humor about it. Um, there are a lot of different blind jokes. You're my blind spot, you know, things like that. But I mean, the big thing with, especially if you're giving like directions to someone who is blind, for instance, you know, saying, oh, it's right over there or it's to your left or it's right here for blind. A big thing that I've uh, caught on to with sighted guide or just telling someone directions is to use the clock as a reference is, oh, at one o'clock or we're going to turn to three o'clock right now. Um, It's really just something that you have to get used to. You have to kind of be conscious about it and intentional about it in communicating that. And then the same kind of goes for those who are deaf. You know, if you're trying to sign, you're trying to use that ASL and you mess something up, they may laugh a little, but they appreciate you trying. And they offer, you know, to help us learn those signs. And so it's just, it's a really beautiful thing to be able to work together and learn the different ways to help one another. It comes across when when you talk about it, it really does. Is there anything else we haven't covered? So you mentioned there are a ton of different programs offered throughout AIDB. And I just want to go ahead and say I did not mention all of them. And it's just incredible to see the different consumers, the students, and the families of them grow and learn together. And it's just, it's a beautiful community. Um, It really is like a family. Well, first of all, I want to thank you for coming because you really have enlightened us a lot about what you do and and the whole community at AIDB. If someone wants to get in touch with you, how do they do that? You can go to www.aidb.org and it has all the different programs. If you go to the locations, it'll show you different programs in Talladega, different programs throughout the state, and of course the 10 regional centers. We'll put that in our show notes that make sure that we put the website on that and everything. That would be great. Thank you so much. And please come back anytime. It was such a pleasure to talk to you today. I'm so glad I could do this. Thanks. We'll see you next time on Between the Stacks. You've been listening to Between the Stacks, a podcast from the Athens Limestone County Public Library. To hear other recordings from our Library Voices podcast series, check out our website at alcpl.org. Library Voices is also now available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts.